and welcome to the first episode of Coaches on the Couch with me, Louise Rogers. And me, Rachel Birchmore. And we're delighted to welcome Martin Evans, who's speaking from his couch to ours today. Martin is the creative director of You and I, a forward-thinking property development and investment company focused on regenerating overlooked and underestimated places. UNI's projects include an old vinyl factory complex in Hayes, Middlesex, and Mayfield in Manchester, where, as a member of the Mayfield Partnership, the company is developing a formerly derelict 24-acre site. In the meantime, Mayfield Depot has become one of the most popular venues in the city, hosting everything from a street food fair to club nights. This creative flair is reflected in UNI's resplendent offices in London's Victoria, a former auction house where artworks buy for attention with a floating glass boardroom. You and I also generously and regularly open up this space to industry partners and collaborators for networking and debating. But of course, the offices have been closed and empty since lockdown. And now that uh, some people are beginning to go back to an office, office space, and we're all operating a sort of hybrid system, or many of us are, we wanted to talk to Martin about how you maintain company culture and social cohesion if homeworking becomes the norm or something that a lot of people are doing a lot of the time. So Martin, thanks so much for joining us. So pleased to have you as the first guest on Coaches on the Couch. Obviously being Coaches on the Couch, we're gonna start with a story of your couch. My real couch at home. Your real yep. couch at and home. My couch at home is quite new. I took the plunge uh, so I've had a I've had a couch for years that I hate because it is so flipping uncomfortable and Louise knows that because she has sat on it many times and then not been able to get out of it and and I kept saying to myself oh yeah got to get a new just got to get a new sofa but it's a huge commitment buying a new sofa finally finally just before Christmas I got my act together and I went to a shop and I sat on the first sofa I saw and I said, I'll take this one. And uh, so I put my old sofa up for sale on Facebook. A day later, somebody bought it. And so now I have I two couches for a week. Now I have just one and it is super comfortable and I love my couch. Fabulous. What colour is it, Martin? It's, oh, goodness, you're going to make me say the word oatmeal. It's oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> it's oatmeal. <laughs> Everything else in my life is brightly coloured except that. Okay, well, gives lots of room for Absolute lots colours. of room for colour yeah, around. It has colourful cushions and a blanket <laughs> okay. on it, but it is it is actually oatmeal. Fantastic. Okay, so just getting back to the getting back to the office, I'm sure lots of people have been to you and I's offices. Obviously, it's an amazing space in Victoria. I've been many times to your event. Um, but just for our listeners who perhaps haven't been there, just tell us a bit about the office. Yeah, as Louise said, it's a, it's a really beautiful building, we, beautiful Victorian building. We, we're the product of two companies that came together four years ago to make a new one. And the company that I worked for for 20 years, Cathedral Group, was based coincidentally in a church in, in London Bridge, a beautiful old um, 18th century chapel. You know, we had we had something to live up to to finding a new office. We definitely wanted a, our own building. We definitely wanted a front door on the street, um, and we wanted a place that was big enough to be home to our nearly a hundred staff, and a place where we could invite people to come in and um, entertain them. So it took a long time 
to find the building, but we it took us 18 months to find it, uh, but we did. It used to be a post office, then it was an auction house, and um, in fact, there was a prison was on the site originally. Um, and it's just off Victoria Street behind the House of Fraser, and it's, and it's a really lovely office. So it has a ground floor that is huge and open and oftentimes empty, but is a large auditorium that we use most days. And we can have up to 200 people in there. So we have a busy schedule of activities and events. And then upstairs, uh, you walk up a quite a sweeping staircase to a lovely working place for, say, a, around about 90 people at the moment. And it is quite swish and uh, designed for us by um, Coffee Architects. And Abe Rogers did some interior design work on it. And it was, and the lovely thing about it is that we were able to design it for purpose. So we designed the office for us. And that's a really lovely thing. It's a privilege and uh, a really lovely opportunity. Uh, it was a collaborative process. Staff all had some say in how it was. It's changed a bit since we moved in. We didn't have enough meeting space, but very comfortable, very nice place to work. Okay, when you, I mean, you were talking there about, obviously, you got to design it for purpose and for your purpose. Was part of that purpose to do with culture? Were you thinking about how you were going to express that culture through the office? Definitely. We think about that all the time. Our company is a little unusual in our industry in that we, our projects are not typical development projects. We, we have unusual large regeneration schemes. And we have those subtypes of schemes on purpose. That's what we do. That's that our, our creative collection of skills and people are designed to be able to deal with difficult, unusual schemes. What that means is unusual ways of working together as a group of people to solve the problems that we have to solve every day. And we have a very particular way of working. And it's a very creative way of working. And it's a very informal way of working. And there's an awful lot of very large problems are solved not by traditional methods that you might see happening in a property development company's office of six or seven people sitting around in a meeting room for long periods of time hashing over a thing. Oftentimes great big problems get solved in the kitchen or sitting on a couch somewhere in the middle of the office between two people who happen upon each other in the middle of a day and we wanted to try to create that kind of serendipity in our office and so lots of the space in our office is not formal meeting space it's not formal desk space it's places where you might just find yourself sitting having a cup of tea and somebody wanders by and strike up a conversation and find you have something to talk about sure yeah are you managing to find ways at the moment to find that serendipity in a slightly different way or not quite yet that's probably going to be our biggest problem i think probably like most companies we've gone through an arc of when this thing hit us like a road accident in the middle of March out of seemingly nowhere. We were so overwhelmed by it that it seemed that the world was going to change forever. And then I think we quite quickly dispersed and set up homeworking and had relatively few problems with that. And then it seemed that, well, maybe this thing isn't going to be so big a deal. And that, you know, human nature as it is, as soon as we can get back to some sense of normality, we'll forget all that and we'll just fit back nicely, neatly into our little ruts. And then it seems to have gone completely back the other way as the weeks have gone by and we've gotten very quickly used to this new way of working. I think we feel two things. One, that things will not be the same again because people have learned a lot about themselves in this lockdown time and learned about the ways that they want to work. But also, it's an opportunity. Now, I'm relatively newly back in my job, a year 
on from having some time away from the company. And I came, I came back to my job last March to do a very specific thing, to, to help Richard particularly bring some change to our company. I found it tough last year because we had a good year and people were content and comfortable. And in contentment and comfort lies some not small measure of torpor. And I felt like I was pushing a lot and I'm not just me. And in this time now, real opportunity to use the fact that people are looking for something new and looking for some change. So I feel excited about the opportunity for us to do that. So sorry, I didn't answer your question, which was about how are we finding that serendipity? We've got to find ways. We've scattered very quickly and easily in tech technologically. We've been capable of doing our jobs, but we are noticing a real lack of that daily serendipitous, serendipitous interaction. It's, it's a problem. If I'm hearing you right, you were saying that you think that, that perhaps people have become a little bit complacent and that the kind of the, the, the general mixing up in the office was happening, but wasn't being as creative or as innovative as, as, you, as it was at the outset. And I'm wondering, what, what have you tried to yeah. reintroduce that whilst remote working has become? So our company relies on change. It relies on being able to understand the way new things ha happen. And that's a constant process. And if you're in a role in a company where you're leading the capacity for that team to recognize and understand and take advantage of change, you've got to, at times when things get a bit happy, poke and push people along and make things a little uncomfortable. I remember a very long time ago when I was working in a Truman Brewery in Brick Lane when it was just being redeveloped. It was when the first dot-com boom was happening and a large company came from San Francisco to set up an office in web development at, at the Truman Brewery. And the guy who was setting it up, I was sort of helping him to settle in the office before his team arrived from their West End temporary accommodation. And he had delayed the arrival of the furniture on purpose so that when his team arrived from their rather plush West End office into their very trendy Brick Lane warehouse office, they didn't have any chairs to sit on. And so they had to sit on their upturned Mac boxes for a while, for a couple of weeks. And he did it on purpose because he said that he wanted to sort of engender that slight uncomfortable bit of pioneer edge of the city thing going on that made them feel excited about this new challenge in their company. And if they had come into all lovely, amazing furniture and comfortable chairs, they would have all just sat down and put their headphones on and got on with their work and not really thought about where they were. So we've had to try to create moments like that. So technology has, has helped dramatically. So using Zoom and Teams mostly, we're using Teams mostly because that allows us to communicate in other ways than just by video calling. And we've set up all kinds of channels on Teams that allow uh, more social interaction to happen and slightly more, less immediate work-focused conversations. We've done things that an awful lot of other companies have done, setting up after work meeting zones on Teams and on Zoom. The internal comms function in our company has wound itself up quite dramatically. And that's, and, and I think that like most things, there isn't really a super clever answer. It's about hard work. It's about pavement pounding. I've got on my desk a telephone list of our company and I'm put coloured dots by people that I've spoken to in the week. And then the next week I'll call people that haven't got coloured dots against them that I didn't talk to last week. And that's just about kind of pavement pounding, uh, paying attention to when did you last speak to person A.
because if you're not walking past them in the kitchen by the coffee machine unless you pick the phone up or hit call on zoom you're never going to talk to them and how are you sort of taking the temperature of the staff of the teams at you and I to make sure that the kind of wide range of needs for interaction and collaboration and creativity and well-being are all being met. Is there a system in place to do that? Formally, uh, we've done one staff survey so far and we'll do more as we get closer to some capacity to return to the office and some kind of near normal working. And we're using, you know, doodle polls and online systems to do that. But again, it's about people in positions of seniority and responsibility talking to each other about the conversations they're all having with people in their teams and wider in the company and sharing insights and sharing knowledge and understanding. It's about communication face-to-face via this technology communication. So the senior management team in our company meets every day at eight o'clock in the morning for about half an hour. We would never have done that if we were uh, in the office because we would not have been there People would be away for the day or in some other meeting. But eight o'clock every morning, four of us are on a, a call like this, discussing the day's agenda and what happened yesterday. And most of that call is not formal agenda. It's just helping each other to understand how better to communicate with our teams. And, and I mean, we, we kind of split the company up pretty much four ways between us. It's an opportunity just to check in from each corner, from all four corners of the company and support each other in how we are helping everybody to cope with this on a day-to-day basis. We talked, Martin, a lot about um, sort of creativity obviously being the core of UNI's culture. Are there other, other elements to culture? We've talked before in our company a lot about kindness and sympathy and empathy. Kindness and empathy. To understand empathy, it feels like to me like you've got to go on a course. Trust me, I've been on many. Kindness feels to me something that we've all got easily inside us that you can dish out relatively straightforwardly um, that feels important to me i i'm i love as quickly as possible that conversations get to a sense of humanity uh, and this this time now when there's glass and metal between us all and fiber even more need to display human kindness and understanding and and, and also because we're all under some extreme pressure of one kind or another. So what we're understanding from polling in our company, from polling our staff, is that some people are finding it very difficult to work at home because they might live in very cramped conditions with larger numbers of people. And there just might simply not be a circus to put a laptop on to do work. You know, so some people have a great problem in parenting through this time. Uh, some people have older relatives that they are caring for some people just live in very noisy places everybody's got a particular stress and strain that seems to be leveled out when you get to the office because you're all then experiencing the same sort of environment all day every day and so it seems to me that we need to be more careful about how we understand our colleagues uh, motivations every day or what limitations they have on their activities every day uh, much much more than we have done maybe in the past you walk over to somebody's desk in the office you might be disturbing them from doing some thinking or doing some writing if you call them when they're trying to shove a bottle in their baby's mouth it's all a whole different ball game and then you, and you've got to think about that and imagine that you can't be grumpy because somebody is having to feed their baby at three o'clock in the afternoon when you want to talk to them 
Yeah, Rachel and I quite often coach people around the concept of human givens. I don't know whether you're aware of this, Martin. It's basically, it's a theory of psychotherapy that was formulated in the UK by two guys called Joe Griffin and Ivan Terrell. It says that in a nutshell, that once our basic physical needs are met for food and shelter and so on, we have eight core human emotional needs for it, which are essential to our mental well-being. And a couple of those, it's, it strikes me, are sort of more difficult to incorporate into lives when people are working remotely, and such as, for example, autonomy and control. And I've, I've coached loads of people, I'm sure Rachel has too, who find that teams and the constantly on and this pressure to be at social events at the end of the working day and all that is actually quite exhausting and they've lost that sense of control that they have of being able to say actually I'm on a site visit or I've got an external meeting today or and that time of transition between meetings and I'm just wondering what your views would be on that. Personally I have felt more capable of saying yes and no to things because I feel more in control of my very limited current environment. We have talked a lot in the senior management team of our company about decisions that we would not think twice about normally, might have very different impact on people now. In fact, the person who runs the office management and hospitality team in our office, whose job has obviously significantly changed since she doesn't have an office to manage and a team of hospitality people to manage. Um, she has in fact uh, been promoted and stepped up in our company because she seems to be the person who is most likely to understand how to manage our community better dispersed than anybody else in the company because she's the one person in the company who supports everybody across all of the activity. She's a, kind of, she's a sort of great leveler. Her role has been expanded and she's been promoted because we recognize how important it is to have somebody who is our you know, community leader. You know, if the office manager was her job title before, that's not really what she's going to do only anymore. A community manager or something like that describes her role a bit better. I, I've noticed in meetings people absolutely checking themselves when they say, well, make a decision about what we're asking of people and recognising that that might not be appropriate to be asking that of people. So I feel that instantly things have been better in our company. I, I hope everybody else feels the same with that because it, we're, we're a bit at sea, particularly in decision-making um, environments. We're not certain how to do this. And so it's causing greater reflection in decision-making. And I think that's a good thing. That sounds like a very good thing. We could probably do with that at the best of times. Because it does make you a little bit anxious because you say something like, you know, well, we'll come back to work on July the 11th. And then somebody says, but what about all the people who've got young children who've decided not to send them back to school? And you're like, oh, right, okay, yes. And then you've got to think about that. And so you add that into your thinking and decision-making and that changes the decision that you make. I think people can feel it is very much easier to advocate for themselves and for other people's situations in this because it's it, it, you know if I'm making a decision about my team I might be thoughtless about something because I'm not used to thinking in that way so very easy for somebody to kind of point out ah have you thought about that and then you have to say well no so let's think about it um, we're, we're having our tea, our company meetings on zoom the Q&A function on these uh, video conferencing facilities is very very useful and we, we had a big debate last week about the fact that you can anonymize your question 
and we're getting much more interesting questions from members of staff when they're able to anonymize them which i don't think is great because i would hope uh, i'm disappointed that people that we don't create a sort of environment where people feel that they don't need to anonymize their question but clearly we do and i'm not sure whether that would be true of any of every company maybe i've coached people who have been in team meetings where some people just refuse to turn on their cameras and nothing's uh, nothing's ever said there was somebody I coached and he said, I, you know, I don't know whether I can tell people that they must turn on their camera. And I said, well, what reason could there be for them not wanting to turn on their camera? And there could be so many reasons for that, that it would just be inappropriate to dig into. But there aren't any rules about this. And we're, re we're making the rules now. It's, Louise, it's a bit like if you sit in a meeting in a room and you ask somebody, you know, what did you do last night? You can tell sometimes somebody is absolutely not keen to have a personal discussion in a meeting about what they did last night. I'm here to talk about work. I'm not here to tell you what, what cinema I went to. And, and we're a little better at that because you can sense somebody's in a room. You can sense somebody's reluctance to engage in that sort of conversation and you just move on and start the meeting. We are not, we, there are no rules at the moment about what to do if somebody says, I'm really sorry, I'd prefer not to turn my camera on. We've got to find those rules interesting isn't it how life is for people at sure. home that is of course obviously a big part of the conversation so i'm just going to contradict myself because i said that um in meetings you know sometimes it's not good to be making them personal sometimes it, you know particularly more creative companies you just assume that everybody wants to be friendly before a meeting starts um but we're having to talk about people's home working because as we're talking now about the longer term changes that are going to be made to our company about the opportunity for people to work more at home than we ever have let them before then we have to have conversations well what's your home working environment like because we spend a lot of time and money making sure that our office environment is health and safety compliant ergonomics of furniture and chairs and desk heights and have the right you know have proper chairs that don't give people back problems well, if, if you spend that amount of effort thinking about their context at work, you have to spend that amount of effort thinking about their time at home. Do people want an office chair in their, uh, in their living room if they're working at their dining table? I don't know. So you have to talk to people about what their home is like and can we make it better? And can we put better broadband in? Can we give you a table? Or I don't know. You know, we're working all that through at the moment. So in some way, those things are going to, be more connected at home and work life as you seamlessly move from one to the other. Both Rachel and I have been to many amazing events at your offices in Victoria. And the events and debates and talks and all the fascinating things and the exhibitions that you put on there are a really key part of your company culture. How can you replicate that or can you replicate that? I don't know um, is the answer. Without Louise. that office space. Um, I don't know and we're learning. Our You and I Think programme is probably our biggest event programme where we have in our office up to 200 people come to like TED Talks uh, where we have a series of very interesting people talking about slightly left field subjects. And we've done two online now and, and the immediate thing to say about that is we've had three times as many people attending them as we have physically in our office. I don't know, well, I'm about to say something rude, but you know, the quality of that audience, whether it's as, as good as people who will turn up to um, physically to an event. But this morning we did a, an event with Morag Myerskov. We had people from Peru. And that's properly exciting to be able to run events where you can have that kind of di difference of people. So 
it would make me very sad if we didn't have face-to-face -face events in a room anymore. But I'm extraordinarily happy that nearly 700 people will come to an event online that we would previously have had 200 people to. That's pretty good. I think that Morag might have been able to carry on for over an hour, but I think that we've taken up quite a lot of your time on your couch. So I just wanted to say, or we just wanted to say, thank you very yes. much. That's thank you, Martin. Really Fascinating stuff. Yeah, this is good. You know, we need help in, in working out our, the future of our company. We are, I'm not saying we're floundering, but we're definitely looking for help. I mean, my inbox is full every morning when I turn my computer on of articles from magazines and newspapers that colleagues have read the night before or read the day before and circulated saying, well, this is a good idea. You know, we are really, really up and learning and reading and understanding and trying to find a way through like I think most people are. And I've got to say, I'm over reading 17 page reports from KPMG about the future of office working. I would much rather be spending 20 minutes listening to a podcast and learning something. So good for you. Too. Fabulous. Thank you, Martin. Thanks very much.